0: Good afternoon, good morning, um, wherever you are in the world, to our latest installment of the In Conversation podcast. Um, Today I have got with me a um, researcher practitioner um, who is doing, again, something slightly different to all of my other conversational partners. So I'm really excited to to, to have a, um, a different view again, um, as we're going to be talking about practice as research. So, Helen, um this is Helen Ross, everybody. um Helen, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, yeah, my name is Helen Ross. I'm a researcher. I'm currently in a school building, partway through different meetings, so there might be a little bit of background noise and I'm stealing a staff room and people are being very kind. I <laughs> am um, a dyslexia specialist, so I research dyslexia. I look at how kids do the classroom with dyslexia how teachers do supporting kids with dyslexia in the classroom Um, and I'm a lucky so-and-so because I get to talk to people and get
0: paid for it and hopefully make useful differences to kids journeys. so I'm a very lucky soul thank you very much thank you very much for this introduction so um let's let's go straight into our conversation how do you define or describe your um you know the kind of the practice as as research that you are doing well it's
1: funny at the minute i'm actually doing some research with a company that does some educational tech and um so i get to the teaching i do actually can also be part of the sort of journey that i use for research obviously you never use research without asking children about it you know is it all right if i use this and you get parental consent but literally the teaching the the interactions i have with my kids what they find tricky what they find easy how we can help them that is my research um and i'm lucky that i've got segues in because i'm a teacher um i've got that kind of segue into different research settings which is really cool um and because I'm dyslexic as well, so if the kid says they find something tricky, I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. Like reading, there's a really massive thing at the moment. And one of my research bugbears and my teaching bugbears is we have to, like, teach children they must love reading. I'm like, come on, you don't tell kids they've got to love hockey or, like, algebra. i like, I love algebra, but you're not forcing a love of something that they find tricky on them. So reading, where you've told you've got to love it, does my head in yeah you've got to be able to do it it's not the same so I think part of my kind of yeah. research as practice is all about lived experience um and I live that same hating reading thing that so many of my, especially my year sevens I live that same journey they do so it's really tricky thank you
0: yeah. very much I, I mean I I, t- I understand the, the kind of the practitioner research that you're doing um I mean the part that for me is really interesting is because you you, you know that it's it's quite similar to what I have always been doing when I was still a secondary school teacher um that you are teaching and researching your own practice at the same time and you know you're you're building on that but but that that comes with huge difficulties doesn't it what are the challenges that you identify I think ethics
1: is a big one um because you don't want to include stuff without by mistake inadvertently um like this project i'm doing at the moment i'm working with i'm actually i i am working with some kids that i teach as well but i've i've spoken to parents i've spoken to the kids i'm like are you sure you want to do it and then and so it's making sure that you're not kind of taking a liberty with what you do because that really matters like it matters so much that you you're not disrespecting your your students and their journeys and you don't want to make something public yeah inadvertently um and I, I, do, I do a research project as well with um, Swansea Uni, and it's about climate change. But because I work, I mean, I work at, at the minute at Stonehenge School, just, well, by Stonehenge, bizarrely enough, funny that, um, and we haven't run the project in my school because I think there's a conflict, a potential conflict of interest. If I'm researching it, I don't want to do it in my own setting, despite the fact that the programme's fab. And I love my school. Like, my school is such a lovely, lovely place to work at. But it's just two things that I just, I don't, I don't mix those two um whether that's right or wrong I don't know but it's what I'm comfortable with and I think it's again it's ethics it's not inadvertently taken a liberty and 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 being respectful of other people's privacy journeys professionalism yeah that's my real you gotta be really careful with that
0: when you're comparing the kind of the two different um, research settings the one where you're saying you kind of it's more like a conventional traditional research and then the other one where you're doing practitioner research um do you experience any kind of differences as to how that research is is viewed or valued or, or evaluated? yeah definitely my i i call
1: it, i'm allowed to say it because i'm a qualitative researcher primarily i do warm fuzzies Quant people aren't allowed to say that it's like I, I can say it because I do it, but I think um, because so much of the research paradigm we're within at the moment, particularly under the current, like, governmental flavour, is this sort of positivist, numbers, 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 quantitative. We've got to have, like, big data. and no, no, no. That kind of annoy It's really important to have big data because it tells you trends, it predicts things, but you also need these smaller-scale, really in-depth, meaty kind of get-into-grips with people's journeys how does the big data make people feel? How does it actually impact on each individual? And I think because I do the kind of warm fuzzy, how does it impact on people? People don't necessarily give it the same level of credence because it's a smaller scale, but it's you're measuring different things and people that have done, you know, PPE, they've gone the kind of correct way through and ended up in government doing PPE or whatever. They don't accept different flavours of success and information from what they've decided within their positivist quite, yeah, it's quite patriarchal kind of traditional framework. They don't accept it as data, they'd like it's anecdote. And that really annoys me because it's all data, it's just telling you different things, different metrics, different purposes, different uses, but equally important.
0: I, I agree with you, um, you know, yeah, they, this is this is you preaching to the converted already, um, I totally agree <laughs> with you on this one. Um, it's just interesting for me to kind of hear, you know, how in different disciplines, practitioner research um, may be viewed in different ways. So mm-hmm. I always get the feeling that within the setting... People recognize it as, you know, this is proper research, this counts, this is valuable, this yes. is important. Yes. So when you're doing educational practice-based research or practice as research in an educational setting, other teachers will 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 value it and will, will mm-hmm. take from it what, what you know, whatever the recommendations or strengths are. But That's if you right. then get somebody else from a different discipline reading that, it's almost like this is not quite valued in the same way. No, it's the obsession with RCTs, isn't it? Randomised control trials. They have a place. They have a purpose.
1: But when you've got a kid who at home, home is terrific wobbly and they haven't had breakfast and they've missed the bus and they've lost the quid to get back home, like, using big data doesn't predict their experience of the school day. Talk to the child. Like, if you talk to a person, you get what they're doing. You can't predict, you can't predict if someone's not had breakfast or home is terribly wobbly or home is amazing, but kids got out the wrong side of bed. You can't. And teachers get that and i think that's why i've i've graduated what well, like my phd was 2017 so for the last seven five years i've managed to stay in the classroom because that journey matters teachers views matter whereas people that do big data or like people that are purely based at uni haven't got a clue what goes on in a classroom with year nine on a friday afternoon when it's windy like i know or year yes. seven, it's it's really hard it matters people it matters that people listen to people that do the job because otherwise on paper-based policy is utterly disconnected from what people need to do That's why I became a teacher in the first place and got really stroppy with the government because I worked in Barnsley for many years and um, you know the ambient kind of literacy level in Barnsley 10 years ago was national curriculum level four and five at the time which was like what about 11 year old level yes and then you've got idiots in government saying we'll teach children Shakespeare and then well yeah okay I'll get it give them give them cultural capital work with their own cultural let's get them reading first and functionally literate so that they can do life and once you can do that then you get into the reading of Shakespeare I'm not, I'm not saying don't work on Shakespeare type stuff because that again would be really snobby and wrong but people need to be able to do vital skills and you've got so no, it say no won't be it won't go ad hominem people who haven't lived the journey in government who went to private schools with 10 kids in their class haven't got a clue what it is to teach 25 kids in a mining town where the job prospects are nothing like shut up <laughs> listen to people that do the job <laughs> it just makes me really
0: cross no, no I, really I, I totally understand where you're coming from and, you, and in many ways you've kind of already touched upon kind of the benefits of practice as research mm. that it's kind of close to closer to to the ground and it's almost like a grassroots um, way of, of doing mm. research um yeah, so yeah absolutely.
1: I think you need both you need people that do big data that come in and kind of have an external view because they have a really valid like what's the word, perspective. But it it needs to mesh from both levels. You can't change structures. You can't keep structures valid, useful, functioning, dynamic. If you don't listen to people that are within the structures, you need both. Um, I'm just a passionate believer of just actually listening to people and respecting them. It's I, so I totally
0: agree with you so can I just ask when when you're talking about your know, practice as research um mm-hmm. the kind of the, the the work that you do within the context of practice as research is there any particular kind of body of literature that you use to 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 gauge your work or to evaluate your own work or to define your own work perhaps I'm a board yeah, board. um
1: I, it's weird I, I did teach my first degree is mechanical engineering because I liked hitting stuff um and it was fun like breaking stuff genuinely but I moved over towards sort of more being in Barnsley towards educationalism I never really engaged with like Piaget a little bit of oh whoever whoever was it just did um zones of proximal development if I got ski I did a Vygotsky, little bit yes Vygotsky. I've never really kind of Educationism yeah. just seemed a bit too small for me so I've always hooked more into the sociological mm. theoretical framework so Borgia really chimes with me because you're in it you're subject to it you produce it because education does like it produces very very narrow version of people essentially and because we've got these kind of structures that produce you must do 5A stars to see or fours to nine or whatever everyone's got to be academic heaven forbid you want to be a plumber because oh my goodness no, no, that's not good enough like so bourgeoisie really times for me um I've made my own say so little theoretical framework you've probably seen like it was based on a light fitting that I got in Wilco's that I saw and then um, I've kind of used that to make my own understanding of the social world as well but that's absolutely based on all the readings I've done from Borgia and just taking it a little bit further like we all do that don't we you, you kind of read stuff and go oh I like it but um but yeah so the nice thing about Borgia and that kind of emancipatory type framework is it's about justice and it's about giving people empowering people yeah respect for listening
0: yeah I thank you I I I can see where you're coming from I mean a lot of the times um, the reason I'm asking is a lot of the times people in educational settings tend to drawn shown you know with the reflective practitioner and 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 his idea of of um research reflection in action and and reflection on action um you know is is basically kind of the first step towards defining what what makes research but then the question is what where's the difference between the reflection and the research is there a difference does there have to be a difference i don't even know that oh wow. uh, <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, that's not
1: that different from like a Bordeauxian kind of ontology and epistemology. Like, because you, I see, objectifying this, uh, I haven't got enough caffeine or blood in my caffeine stream this morning, but I think it's about, it's that cyclical thing where, and it applies to the special educational needs cycle as well. You kind of assess what's going on, take a snapshot, look at it. You internalise stuff and then you... You do apply it, because if, if a kid says to me, I don't want to stand out in... I assessed a girl last week for, as my job. I don't want to stand out as a dyslexic kid because it's embarrassing. Why would I use a computer when I'm the only kid? So I'm not going to then say every child who has dyslexia has to use a computer in class as a standard like rule, because I know that some of the kids I teach would be mortified by doing that. So my professional practice is then I take that under my research as well because I know if I'm doing research in a classroom I'm not going to be like sit next to the dyslexic kid and be like hi you're my buddy for this lesson because that's just that's not right is it you don't want to embarrass or make somebody feel small and I think being having been a classroom teacher for like a bajillion years has influenced how I do research with that and also talking to the kids when you do talk one-to-one with a kid carefully discreetly sensitively and they're telling you know my teacher still embarrass me well that of course that reflects my practice because I'm like I've got year seven in front of me last thing in the afternoon I'm not going to be like hello dyslexic child how's your reading today and I read on the spot it's just not fair it's just it's that ethical respectful underpinning of life surely not just research like as my my little two-year-old said the other day it's absolutely douchey said as a two-year-old it's it's not broken my child by teaching the word douchey but it's really not Kind. It's not respectful to belittle somebody, and that underpins every methodology, classroom practice I do. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, I get it right to just treat people properly.
0: Do you do you sometimes feel that when you are this practitioner researcher and you're playing these two or three different roles in that one situation, do you sometimes feel that you have to push the researcher into the bottom drawer? And and be teacher, consultant, advisor, supporter first? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it depends who I'm working with, I think. Um if I'm working with a family and it's about their child in that particular setting now, you address whatever they need you to address. And yeah, absolutely. Um because again, you're you're dealing with people, you're not dealing with big data when you're dealing with an individual family or an individual setting. you can kind of have an idea of trends you can have an overview of what things might do or be or people aren't numbers in it like you have to be adaptable and flexible in it I don't know I'm I'm like a broken record it's respect I've turned into my mother and or Aretha Franklin like it's it's just you've got to treat people properly and individually and listen two ears one mouth use them in proportion that's
0: Yes. That's what I think. Yes. No, I totally understand that. Can I just ask you, um, how would you like to see the field of practice as research develop as a field, but also for your own practice as research? How do you how do you think that you're going to develop your own practice as research?
1: I think in general, what I would like is the government to actually have created, you know, they run all these consultations. There's an SEN consultation recently been done. And they say they listen to schools, they say they listen to practitioners, but it genuinely doesn't feel like they do. The reason I did a PhD 10 years ago was because when I was reading stuff while I was in Barnsley, I was like, oh, they, all these people have got a PhD. They've got a doctor in front of them. And I'm going to get me one of them because then they'll listen to me. And sadly, that's still the impression I have. You know, people shouldn't treat me different because I've got a PhD because I'm still a Wally at times. I'm <laughs> like, it's stupid. But it has opened doors that should have been opened by me having been a Senco, or me having taught in a classroom for 10 years, because classroom teachers know their craft. Children know their journeys. But the powers that be, for whatever reason, well, that's a different argument. The powers that be and those who hold the the capacity to rewrite policy, to, to do define policy, somehow just won't seem to listen. So that's what I want for researchers' practice, is that we have big data, we have kind of external experts, because it matters. But, jolly well listen to people doing the job and I think then that comes partly as I say what I said before I've stayed in the classroom as long as I can um I I finish in two weeks at school because I'm human and I can't do everything and I'm knackered um for myself what I would like is to keep working with kids and keep tutoring um so that at least I'm working with kids living the journey um And I just want to keep shouting at the government. Um, I'm going to the House of Lords in a few weeks with my role as a trustee from the British Dyslexia Association, which is like a massive privilege. The House of Lords thing, whether we met in a holiday in a pub car park, I don't care. It's the people, whatever, it's the people that matter. And so I'm lucky that I've got the ear of people that make policy. Um, That's that's a mental privilege that I'm really grateful for. And I just want to keep, my hand in with that I think just keep keep rattling cages respectfully and you know calmly and generally as politely as I can (laughs) have my moments um but yeah that's what I'd like for me and then hopefully that then would fit into the whole idea of you listen to people that are doing the job touching wood
0: (laughs) that's that's the ideal thank you sure. I think you know when you said that you feel you know that people were kind of treating differently treating you differently to you know mm. pre-doctorate and after doctorate that kind of again goes back to probably the value of practice as research in a way because Absolutely. as a practitioner you didn't count but as, as somebody with a dic- with a doctorate you're certainly oh. an academic and suddenly you do count
1: yeah it's ridiculous isn't it because Having a doctorate doesn't make me clever. It just means I'm a stubborn bugger, and I was jolly well going to get a PhD. Yes, I'm cl- of course I'm clever, but I'm also tenacious and stubborn. And I was a tenacious, stubborn senko, and I'm a tenacious and stubborn teacher. Those quality mm, qual- attributes <laughs> haven't changed. Just the and I, I taught while I was doing my PhD as well. I thought I at the time I didn't get funding, and I was like, Meh. but actually, t- twenty twenty hindsight kept me in the classroom so it, I wasn't any different as a teacher you know, as a person just for having a doctorate I was a bit poorer but yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't it shouldn't make people treat you differently my husband finds the same Mr Dr Ross is also a doctorate person he works at um at uni and he says academics people engage with him differently he's like Profession. I don't. He does one in participation, and he um he says it's easier to engage with some of the kind of more academic bods because they treat him because he has that credence that that yeah. set of letters after his name. Yes. That just meant he did mass spectroscopy for an awful lot of his life for three years. I don't really understand his PhD. It was chemistry. It doesn't mean he's any better as a person. It just means he studied a bit longer and is stubborn, stroppy, and worked
0: hard on it. But it's, it's interesting, interesting to, to dropping work differently. Yes yeah no it's just interesting that that seems to be kind of one of one of the things that a lot of people struggle when they're doing um, mm. practice as research I mean the ethical um, you know dilemmas that we are facing the, the different hats that we wear in that same situation all of those things seem to you know be, be irrespective of, of disciplinary conventions and then like you say there is this added thing that actually the practitioner knowledge is secondary to the scholarly academic knowledge and that's and that's a shame in many ways because it's again it's like like you were saying at the beginning that the difference between qualitative and quantitative work is not Mm. that you know that they're not valuable they're just valuable in different ways and for me practitioner knowledge and scholarly knowledge is again is just a different quality of knowledge it doesn't mean that one is better quality than Mm. the other
1: and i think it's something like education There, your practitioner knowledge is your academic knowledge i honestly think like I didn't I didn't know what epistemology and ontology was because I did engineering and you hit stuff. Y- you don't touch on that. But like if i it's the letters, it's the letters after my name. Because if I'd read a load of books, I could have still learned all the philosophy stuff that I do now. It's the letters after my name that makes the yes. difference or before my name. it's mean, calling myself Doctor, and Dr. Ross spells Dross, you know, a load of rubbish that in British English, Dross doesn't mean I'm any better. It, just means I've got a yes. different set of qualifications. You know, chartered teachers, there's the, um, oh, I'm a member of it as well, the Charter College of Teaching in the UK at the minute. The level of professional knowledge, uh, professional development that people have to do, that's so what my colleagues are doing all the pathway at the minute. Yeah. It's phenomenal. They're amazing. They, they It's really in-depth. And they're going to be chartered teachers. Now, in a lot of professions being chartered, it's brilliant, it's really high-end. But I, can, I I speak not, I, I don't malign my colleagues. By the contrary, I totally respect my colleagues. They're epic. They'll still not get the same yeah. doors open to them as a the charter teacher as I have just because it says doctor in front of my name. And that is absolutely disgraceful. It's disgraceful because to be a charter teacher is meaty. To be an accomplished teacher, if you're on the upper pace line, you are an
0: accomplished teacher. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think you know, I'm, I'm this not... Is, Apparently this is cathartic. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> but, you know, in many ways, for me, this is what I'm trying to do with the practice as research network is trying yeah, good, to kind of show to people actually, you know, there, there is something here that, that is valuable, that's important, that's relevant in so many different ways. And yes, it's not the end all, because like you said, we still need quantitative work. We still need, you know, like conventional, you know, random, uh, randomised controlled yeah. trials, all the rest of it. But actually, yeah, it's not to dis- dismiss the, the the kind of work that people like us are doing.
1: For sure. Absolutely. Exactly that. And I think, I don't know, I,
0: I just think we just
1: need to keep rattling cages. Um, Stuff like I'm, I'm actively not in a uni, like I don't really want to be a uni academic because... And get to do what I like when I like yes it's quite exciting it's terrifying because say my last salary is in six weeks but like I can do what I like when I like and I think what's really important for people that are indies and people who are practitioners as re- research practitioners is stuff like this the NCIS and it's not the tv show the national coalition of independent scholars that's really important because a lot of people that do that are research practic- pract- practitioners they're doing the job but they're also kind of geeking it as well in a good way and um I think organizations that scholarly organizations that are not like university ones are really important and unions you know teaching unions um if you're a nurse like the nurse the nursing and midwifery council I think it's called these I can't remember but like all the psychology societies I think these Big professional organisations are really an important link between the kind of policy, theoretical, academic-y stuff and them that are doing the, the role as well. Um, my dad does a lot of interviewing for the Institute of Mechanical Engineers and he's like, he, he, a lot of the stuff he does is bridging kind of where people are applying research to their proper engineering stuff and there, there's no reason why other, other jobs can't do, you know, jobs, professions, fields can't do that. I just think we need to shout about it a bit more a lot more
0: politely <laughs> thank you very much well thank you very much helen it's been really really nice talking to you it's, it was a really interesting know, conversation, really and i'm always surprised how quickly these conversations go um it's been great to have you on thank here you. and um i would like to say thank you very much um you. um you know for for talking to us about your definition of practice as research and i'm sure we'll hear more of and about your work in in new course as well cool thanks for having me it's been lovely really appreciate it Thank thank you